people are finally beginning to see the truth now. Because if they're not, if people, good people, clear-thinking people, can't see the forest from the trees, then the future of the Republic is in doubt. Hi, everyone. I'm Jamie Dury, and welcome to another episode of the Jamie Dury Show podcast. If you have not already done so, please subscribe to the show, and you can do so in one of three easy ways. You can either download the free Podbean app, which is our hosting service, and subscribe that way. It's available in both the Google Play Store and the iTunes App Store. Or you can use your native podcast aggregator app in whatever device you use and simply search out the Jamie Dury Show podcast and subscribe that way. Whichever way you choose to subscribe, you will be able to leave comments and reviews, and we desperately would like more of both. Please give us a good review. You can also email me directly at jamiedury1776 at gmail.com. If there's a particular topic you'd like me to cover, or if you have a question for me that you'd like me to respond to. So why do I say I hope people are seeing the forest from the trees? Because with each passing day now, it seems abundantly clear to me, and I think to most clear-thinking people, that there is definitely a movement afoot on the part of certain political operatives in this country, and they all happen to be, or most of them happen to be, in the Democratic Party to really destroy this country. When Barack Obama first came to power, uh, everybody had high hopes. I didn't, but people who bought into nonsense had high hopes. And you can always tell when someone is selling you a bill of goods, when they speak in generalities with no specifics. We're going to fundamentally change this country. Well, everybody assumed... People want to assume that when somebody is going to fundamentally change something, they're going to do so for the better. Well, Lord, what fools these mortals be, Shakespeare would say. You know, he was going to fundamentally change the company, uh, country. He was going to fundamentally change it so much that it would become unrecognizable. And this man, with an ego the size of Nebraska, had the audacity to actually state in an interview when asked if he would like a third term by that other idiot that occupies late-night television, Steve Colbert, that he would rather not have a third term. He would really like it if he could be in the basement someplace and just hang out and let somebody else do the speaking and and run sort of a shadow government. Well, that's exactly what we have right now with uh, Joe Biden in office. There should be no question in anyone's mind that Joe Biden is incompetent he, he is not competent to run the country. He's not competent to run his own life. The man is severely handicapped. He's suffering from dementia. Every public appearance, it's clear that he's pulled away from the podium. He's not allowed to answer questions. He stares into the camera for sometimes 30, 40, 50 seconds, a minute and a half without blinking. He's clearly being drugged up. This man is not running the country, so it begs the question, who is? And it should be so plainfully, painfully obvious to everyone that he's not running the country that most clear-thinking people have to be shocked that the media is not asking who is running this country because he clearly is not. Well, perhaps they're not asking because they don't want to focus any more attention on it than they already is getting from others in the media, like in Newsmax and Fox News. And perhaps it's because they already know the answer to the question. 
and that is Barack Obama and his people are running the country. And you can tell by the playbook that's being run. We've spoken about this in the past. We've spoken about the weaponization of government agencies against political uh, foes, like we've seen with um, the raiding of former President Donald Trump's home and the raiding of homes of up to 30 or 40 of his assistants. It's ridiculous what's going on. Uh, but there is still more. Now we're seeing backpedaling. And of course, the um, standard playbook of accusing anyone who disagrees with them of racism. But we have a couple of things. First of all, I'd like to know how it is that the executive branch, which is responsible for upholding the laws duly passed by Congress, is so very, very comfortable with illegal aliens flooding into this country when the laws passed by Congress state that this is a crime. That's why they're called illegal, alien, uh, illegal aliens, ladies and gentlemen. This euphemism that the media calls, calls them undocumented. No, they're illegal. It is against the law to walk across the Rio Grande. If you want to come here, you have to come here legally. It's also against the law, both United States law and international law, to skip over multiple countries to come to the United States if you're fleeing your own country due to political persecution. So if you're in Venezuela and you say you're being politically persecuted, you just can't march up through the neighboring countries and through all the countries in Central America and Belize and Mexico, and then cross the Rio Grande and say, oh, I think I'll just stop here. International law requires you to seek political asylum in the first country you seek where you are not persecuted. So don't tell me you're being persecuted in all those other countries and you have to get to the U.S. And certainly, you're not supposed to be, if you're the chief executive, funding efforts to keep these people here. But that's exactly what we have going on. The Biden administration, or should I say the Obama administration's third term with Joe Biden as the figurehead, has given over $41 million in federally funded contracts, your money, to Soro-linked groups to help illegal aliens fight deportations, according to this article in the Times. I'll get some pull quotes for you. Basically, the Biden administration has, avoid, has awarded $41.3 million in federal contracts to an advocacy group, which is aligned with the Vera Institute of Justice, which is a progressive left institute which helps illegal immigrants fight deportation in the United States. The Acacia Center for Justice, a Washington-based nonprofit created through a collaboration between the aforementioned Vera Institute of Justice and the Capital Area Immigrants' Rights Coalition, has been awarded six contracts from the DOJ to provide legal services starting on September 1st, according to government records. So this is, this is interesting. The Department of Justice, the federal government agency which is responsible for upholding federal law, and should be responsible for helping to deport these people, is now awarding contracts to help these people that they're supposed to keep out stay in. That sounds like a conflict of interest. It is. The Vera Institute of Justice has received millions in funding 
from George Soros's Open Society Foundation, and now the federal government, through the Justice Department, at the behest of sleepy Joe Biden, who obviously is just a puppet, like the old Walter Winchell show, with Barack Obama's hand up his back, telling him that he has to do this. Now, on its website, the Acacia Center for Justice says its mission is to, quote, expand on Vera's network, the other nonprofit I told you about, over the past 20 years in providing legal support and representation to immigrants facing deportation through development, coordination, and management of national networks of legal services, providing uh, services to immigrants across the country. You know, aside from the obvious that people don't have an unassailable right to come to this country, aside from the uh, inequity in that, that people are being allowed to come here by the very government that's supposed to keep them out, what about the injustice to the people that are already here? Everyone talks about, oh, people have a right. You have no right to come here. You have a right to want a better life. You have a right to try and seek it, but you have to seek it within the law. You have no inalienable right to come to the United States. But I'm more concerned about people who have been forgotten by this country. Everyone seems to forget, and I would, if I was a Republican, I would hit this heavy. What about African Americans who were taken to this country in chains as slaves hundreds of years ago, and now their ancestors are here? They certainly didn't ask to come here. They certainly didn't receive a better life when they got here. And ever since slavery has been ended, there has been a concerted effort on the part of the Democratic Party, the party of the South, the party of slavery, the party of the Ku Klux Klan, to keep African Americans subjugated, ignorant, and under the thumb of economic slavery, not so much physical slavery. You see, by giving people money, continued programs to try and perpetuate and expand the welfare state, you are allowing people to be seduced, to learn to accept that which they can be given, rather than strive for that which they can achieve. African Americans could be achieving a lot more in this country if they haven't been so beguiled by the forces that seek to keep them enslaved economically under the guise of helping them achieve equality. And there's only one party that's been doing that, and they've been doing it for decades, and that's the Democratic Party. How can you bring illegal immigrants into this country when you have so many African Americans who have been disenfranchised by the very party that seeks to help them? It's not the Republicans, ladies and gentlemen, with voter uh, suppression that's seeking to disenfranchise uh, African Americans, and we're going to have more on that in due course today as a result of a ruling by a federal judge. And that federal judge, just so you know, was appointed by Barack Obama, so it must sting them, but we'll get to that. No, if I were a Republican today, I would be reaching across the aisle to the African American community and tell them, look, 
we really do want to help you. We want to help you by allowing you to be all you can be and not just be content to accept all that you can get from those who want to hand you the crumbs to let you subsist from day to day rather than to strive and to, and to achieve. That's what's happening in this country. So why the big push? Well, because people are beginning to realize the hustle. And a party like the Democratic Party, which can only stay in power by having people need it and be beholden to it, eventually when the underclass in this country elevates itself and becomes a little educated, a little smarter, you need to import an additional booster to the underclass. You import people who are worse off than the people over here. So you always have an abundance of people who need you and who are always going to vote for you. Their goal is to bring all these people here from these third world countries, ignorant, uneducated, and in need. Give them your money. They're very generous with other people's money, the Democrats. And use that to somehow make them citizens so they can vote, knowing full well they're going to vote for them. And if they're successful in this scheme, you will never have anything other than a democratically elected government. Uh, I shouldn't say that. Not a democratically elected government, but an elected Democrat government. Democrat meaning Democrat Party. And since the Democrat Party is now the Communist Party of America, you're going to have basically a plebiscite and you're going to have a communist government. That's why they hate Donald Trump so much, because he spoke out to this. And they'll do anything they can to seduce people within this country. One such seduction was the forgiveness of student loans. Biden announced the forgiveness of student loans with much fanfare. But as of the 29th of this month, of last month, I should say, September, they quietly scaled it back after six Republican-led states sued them, saying it was illegal. And it is illegal. As of the 29th of September, my friends, any borrower who has a student loan, where that loan is owned by a private entity and not by the Department of Education, and that's quite a few of them, maybe even the majority of them, will no longer qualify for the relief program. Prior to this, the administration had said those borrowers with student loans owned by private entities, many of which were made under the former Federal Family Education Loan Program and the Federal Perkins Loan Program, would qualify for relief of up to $10,000 or $20,000 in loan forgiveness. As long as the borrower consolidated his or her debt into the Federal Direct Loan Program. Well, now there's new guidance. As of the 29th of September 2022, borrowers with federal student loans not held by the Education Department cannot obtain one-time debt relief by consolidating these loans into direct loans. More than 4 million student loan borrowers have privately held loans through the FFEL program, according to NPR, that great bastion of news, liberal garbage organization that it is, your tax dollars going to NPR, and all they do is, is report left-of-center news. I wonder how they felt when they had to be the ones to give this information out. And I wonder how these 4 million student loan borrowers feel about Joe Biden and the Democratic Party now. Quote, here is the goal established by the government. 
Our goal is to provide relief to as many eligible borrowers as quickly and easily as possible. And this will allow us to achieve that goal while we continue to explore additional legally available options to provide relief to borrowers with privately owned FFEL loans and Perkins loans, including whether FFEL borrowers could receive one-time debt relief without needing to consolidate, said the Department of Education in an emailed statement to CNN. Why does CNN get this information? Take my words for it. They're only going to go down this road until the election in November. Once they fail to secure your vote, but once they fail to achieve uh, retention of Congress, nobody's going to be talking about this for a while. It's going to go away. This whole thing has been a pipe dream. They can't afford it. And once they realize that they've lost their bid to retain Congress, they're not going to want to go down that road again. There'll be no need to. No need whatsoever. So this is just another little case of the left trying to seduce voters with the same old tired playbook by doing what they always do, just waving money in people's faces. This is just out-and-out bribery. It's barely concealed bribery. But there are other things going on. One of the ways that they try and maintain control is to try and challenge any law that says people have to prove who they are or prove that they have a right to vote. You know, the right to vote is a sacred right, but it's a right that's only granted to legitimate citizens. And in some cases, in some states, if you have a felony conviction or something else, you forfeit that right to vote. But if you're an illegal alien and just happens to be here, you shouldn't be able to get a right to vote. And in states where all you need is a driver's license to show who you are, and driver's license are granted to people who are not necessarily citizens, that shouldn't be enough to allow you to vote either. California allows anyone to vote who has a driver's license, but they'll also allow anyone to get a driver's license, even if you're not a citizen. So there's a corruption of the electoral process. And people who sue over this have a legitimate argument because states that do run their elections fair and square and do think people need to prove who they are in order to be able to vote are having their votes diluted by states that allow anyone to vote, even those who don't have a right to vote. Now, one such state that tries to run things fairly is the state of Georgia. They have a law uh, that says that people should be able to prove who they are, prove they're a citizen, and prove that they're legal, and they have a right to vote. Now, one person who doesn't like this law is Stacey Abrams. You know who Stacey Abrams is. Stacey Abrams is that chunky gal from Georgia with the big gap in her two front teeth and smiling everywhere she goes, the one that Joe Biden said if she had a 20 Stacey Abrams, she could win any election. Sure, because they did everything they could to try and undermine Georgia's voting laws to try and sway that state to Joe Biden, which they did because they illegally counted votes. And this has caused a lot of uh, flack there. Stacey Abrams is basically still pissed off over the fact that she's not the governor of Georgia, and she keeps walking around like she is the undenied, or the denied, rather, the denied governor of Georgia that was a victim of a stolen election. Now, why is it that nobody remembers this? Why is it that nobody remembers that people like Stacey Abrams ran around for years saying, and she's still saying it, that the 
2018 election for governor was stolen and that she deserved to be the governor of Georgia. Why is it that nobody remembers that it was the Democrats who were crying like stuck pigs when George W. Bush won the 2000 presidential election? Why is it that nobody remembers that in 2004, the same Democrats were telling John Kerry that he should not concede because Ohio really should have been won by him? But when Donald Trump, with legitimate evidence, six states in which he was leading, all simultaneously, never before done in the history of presidential elections, decide they're going to stop counting. We'll take a break, have some coffee and donuts. Maybe we'll get back to it. Once we can get truckloads of pre-printed ballots that were only voted on in the presidential election, no other election checked off, uh, and get them into the system by hook or by crook, then we'll start counting again. Well, Stacey Abrams and the Democrats were given a big kick in the teeth uh, in a lawsuit recently. Now, they want to tell you a judge threw out the lawsuit. That's not exactly true. Uh, the judge threw it out after a federal trial, a bench trial, no jury. They both decided to put it before a judge. Now, why did they do that? Why wouldn't you go before a jury? Well, there's a reason. You might not go before a jury if you think the jury is going to go against you because common sense would prevail. And you might want to go before a judge if you think the judge was predisposed to sympathize with your position. And why wouldn't you think that in this case, given that the judge was a judge appointed by, wait for it, Barack Hussein Obama? That's right. The judge who made this decision was appointed by none other than former President Barack Obama. Hussein Obama. U.S. District Court Judge Stephen C. Jones, an Obama appointee, issued the ruling after a lengthy trial, handing a major victory to Governor Brian Kemp and Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger, who aggressively defended the state's election laws from a legal assault by Abrams voter group Fair Fight Incorporated and other liberals. Quote, here was from the ruling. Although Georgia's election system is not perfect, the challenge practices violate neither the Constitution nor the Voting Rights Act. Jones ruled in a 288-page decision. Quote, as the 11th Circuit notes, federal courts are not the arbiters of disputes which arise in elections. It is not the federal court's role to oversee the administrative details of a local election. Having held a non-jury trial and considered the evidence and arguments of the parties for the foregoing reasons, the court finds in favor of the defendants and against the plaintiffs on all remaining counts of the plaintiff's second amended complaint. You could even read the ruling if you wish. They have it listed online. The ruling, I'm pulling from the article now, was a major blow to Abrams just weeks before voters choose the next governor. And Republicans who squared off against her in the courtroom quickly embraced the win to remind voters of Abrams' prior claims of stolen elections after her 2018 campaign loss and racial voter suppression. Quote, this is a win for all Georgia election officials 
who dedicate their lives to safe, secure, and accessible elections, said Raffensperger. Stolen election and voter suppression claims by Stacey Abrams were nothing but poll-tested rhetoric, not supported by facts and evidence. Governor Kemp added Judge Jones' ruling exposes this legal effort for what it really is, a tool wielded by a politician hoping to wrongfully weaponize the legal system to further her own political goals. However, Democrats are shameless, and within minutes, Abrams, despite losing every count before a federal court appointed by her hero president, Barack Obama, she celebrated a hard-won victory after presenting her losing case. There's no denying voter suppression under Brian Kemp and Brad Raffensperger. This she tweeted. But there's a lot to be said for, for this decision, ladies and gentlemen. Judge Jones, in writing this decision, is said to have borrowed heavily from the U.S. Supreme Court's landmark ruling last year that upheld Arizona Attorney General Mark uh, Bronovic and his state's law outlawing ballot harvesting and trafficking. They quoted numbers in these things. 98%, if I can find this for you here, on the, they said it had minimal, any voter ID uh, law had minimal impact and there was no disparate impact, okay? 98% or fewer voters are impacted by these acts, with the exception of black voters, where 97.97% of black voters were not impacted. So there was like three one-hundredths of a percent more uh, black voters that might have been impacted. Any way you slice it, this was a major loss for Stacey Abrams. This was a major loss for the Democratic Party. This is the law of the land, according to the Supreme Court. It's the law of the land in Georgia. And I think any more attempts to try and challenge these voter ID laws are going to meet with a similar fate. And that, to me, is heartening, because if you can't have uh, verification that people who vote in elections are empowered to vote in elections, you're never going to have fair elections again. So rather than have challenges to voter ID laws, we need an expansion of voter ID laws in every state. Now, you're never going to have them in liberal states like New York or California until perhaps maybe people are so fed up with the sewers that these states have become that they vote out the lunatics who are currently running them and vote in uh, contemplative leadership. In my own home state here of New York, I'm of the opinion that if Lee Zeldin does not get elected governor, you can write New York off. It's permanently finished. We've lost over a million and a half people from this state in the last 10 years. We've lost over 350,000 just since COVID alone. And if we don't get a Republican governor in this election, more people will leave the state out of frustration to the extent that the electorate will be such that we'll never get a Republican elected governor in this state. We'll be in permanent Democrat hands, in which case we will be a permanent socialist slash communist state. But I do believe that Lee Zeldin will win. I believe he will unseat Governor Hochul, and uh, there may be hope for the state yet. But I point out, as I always have, the biggest thing we need, aside from verifiable 
voter ID laws to ensure that only those who are legally entitled to vote do so. We need term limits. Without term limits, the politicians become an end unto themselves. They begin to act in accordance with what's best for them, not is what's best for the people. The Founding Fathers never thought to put term limits in the Constitution because in their wildest imagination, they never dreamed that people would look at politics as a career. They viewed it as a sacred duty, as an honor. Serve a term or two and then go back to the farm. George Washington was asked to run for a third term. He said, no, let someone else run. This is not a kingdom. This is not a monarchy. It is a democratically elected government. And so, as I said in my last broadcast, ladies and gentlemen, the biggest threat to democracy and to the people of the United States is not a foreign power. I wish it were the case, but it's not. It's not a foreign power. It's not the illegal aliens that are flooding across our border, although they are a threat. It's not racism. It's not economic disparity. The biggest threat? The 535 fools that are sitting in Congress. The 535 traitors who are sitting in Congress. The traitor who is sitting in the White House that uses tax money to help illegals stay here in defiance of laws that he's supposed to uphold. Treason at the highest level because of unregulated terms. There should be term limits in every state house, term limits in every governor's mansion, term limits in every mayoralty, and term limits in Congress, just as there are term limits in the White House. That is what we need. For the Jamie Dury Show podcast, I'm Jamie Dury. Thank you.